You're listening to In the Studio with Michael Card. The session is made possible by our friends with the Christian Standard Bible. Learn about this new translation and the many ways you can enjoy the CSB. Explore online when you visit csbible.com. Calling our program Hunger and Thirst this week. This is in the studio with Michael Card, and I'm Wayne Shepherd. Michael, there's very good reason, Hunger and Thirst. Uh, we're going to start with the thirst part as you uh, teach about uh, the woman at the well. Yeah, well, kind of a wonderful uh, parable of, uh, of, uh, of what it means to be thirsty, and Jesus standing there beside a well and um, asking, asking someone for a drink. And he actually never gets a drink, as far as I. As far as I can tell from that uh, that passage, <laughs> interesting detail. Yeah, <laughs> and then later, uh, Scott Rowley. It's going to be one of those classic conversations from uh, from our uh, mole and studio days when Scott came in and the two of you sat down and t- it was just magical. So we're going to talk about a hunger for God's word with Scott a bit later yeah. in the program here today. Thank you for your comments that you email to us or post on Facebook or wherever the reviews that you post of our podcast. Thank you. Very much. Linda says, we have studied the Bible with Michael Card at the Cove a couple of times. He never ceases to bring good questions and deeper thoughts to the table. Well, the teaching we're going to hear came from the Cove in the summer of 2021. Yeah. Again, the Cove is just a wonderful place to go. Everything you would expect from the Graham organization, uh, just a, a wonderful retreat and uh and you get to spend a week with uh, with people who just want to talk about the life of Jesus. That's that tends to be a pretty uh, good group of people to to hang out with. Yeah, yeah. I, I've only been there once, but it, my wife and I were there, and it was very enjoyable. We'll have to yeah. schedule it when you're there sometime. Uh, oh, I'll surprise be, you, maybe. <laughs> that would be fun. Okay, I've got an email here from uh, from someone that says that years ago my. And it's a, a, a country in Asia that we, we don't want to say what country it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but years ago, my, my, my friend was first drawn to Christ through Under the Sun, which is a, a song. She's now a semi-retired middle school teacher who still has a vibrant faith that she shares regularly. She's a bright light in a very dark corner. And you were the one who first opened her eyes to the fact that there was a God who understood her. So, uh, wow. And, and again, that has nothing to do with me, really, or even the song Under the Sun. That's, that's what God does, you know. Right. I didn't right. do that. God did that. Right. So, but it's nice that someone would take the time to encourage you. I was praying with a radio friend earlier today, and I was impressed when he prayed that uh, God would take what we do in the studio and use the timing of it at just the right moment in some person's life in the future. So that's what we're hoping will happen here. As you sing this song, which was yeah. recorded in the Mole End studio, Under the Sun, and then we'll hear your teaching uh, about uh, John chapter 4, The Woman at the Well. Here's Michael Card. He was a king, a teacher, and the wisest in the land Driven by a passion Just to know and understand He opened wide his eyes Sought to see beyond the lies And found a world beyond his understanding Under the sun He saw the vanity of vanities He bravely looked at life and saw futility Torn between the facts he saw and all he ever had believed Between his hopes and what he clearly seen set himself to learn but found the more the knowledge the more sorrow and concern and so we turned to pleasure to folly and to cheer 
But still his laughter tasted of his tears Under the sun True there is vanity of vanities But there is more to life There is security Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, which is close to uh, Mount Gerizim. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now that's either noon. There's two, rec- two ways of reckoning time, and scholars argue about this. I think it probably is noon, because you count one from 6 o'clock in the morning when sun comes up, so he adds 6, and that's noon. Or it may be literally 6 p.m. I don't think it's 6 p.m., but just know that, like everything else, they disagree about this, okay? They disagree about this. Um, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? You're wondering where the disciples are. Well, John's going to tell you his disciples had gone into town to buy food. Now, why does John keep explaining things like this? Because he's, told, he's been telling this story for 50 years, and he knows when you need to be whispered to and explained, and that's what's, that's what's happening. Okay? That's, that's part of the elegance of the text of the Gospel of John. Mark, Mark doesn't do this. Mark doesn't have the same kind of elegance. Now, Mark is still perfect, correct? It's still perfect. But the nature of its perfection is different than the nature of the perfection of John, in my my opinion. So, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Okay, um, I really love this woman. Um, She keeps throwing sand in his face. That's, That's... just see what you think. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Like the obvious. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Do you hear it? He's explaining to you what, what's going on. Um, and there's, a, there's a, a more literal translation of that passage that says Jews don't use uh, the dishes that Samaritans use. He's, he wants a drink of water, and he's going to have to drink out of her bucket. So, um, okay. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift, and I insert only in there because I think that's the tone. If only you knew the gift of God and who it is to ask you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would give you living water. Now, Jesus just said something very deeply spiritual. So what's going to happen? He's going to be misunderstood. That's how John works, okay? Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? She has no idea what what he's talking about. And here comes more sand. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty Again, and this is another theme in John. It's called the better than theme. There's, Jesus is the living bread. You know, the, the, the people ate man in the wilderness, but Jesus is better. Why? He's the, because he's the living bread. Okay? They, they had water in the wilderness, or this Jacob's well had water. Why is Jesus' water better? It's living water. Um, okay? So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a theme. And John, a better than motif. So everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring, not a deep well, of water welling up into everlasting life. And Jesus will never say, I am the living water. 
He always makes that differentiation. He's the one who is, you know, the source, but he, he will never say, uh, I am. The woman said to him, sir, he just said something deeply spiritual, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So again, she doesn't understand. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. Yeah. And he, see, that's what he did with Nicodemus. He says something kind of abrupt. Notice he's not saying amen, amen to her. I don't know. I think there's something there. I've just, just noticed that. Um, so go call your husband. And tone is everything here. All my life in Sunday school, I was hurt. Uh, this was read as, I got you, tone. I don't think it's, I got you, tone. I think it's, it's a heartfelt, looking down uh, tone. So I think tone is, is everything. So this is, this is how I read it. Jesus said to her, you're right when you said you have no husband. The fact is, You've had five, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you said is quite true. I think he, he hurts for her. The rabbi said the limit was three, so she's two over the limit. <laughs> Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. So what is a prophet? A prophet is anyone who says what God would say if he was there. That's a simple definition of a prophet. More sand. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, Mount Gerizim. You know about the whole schism between the Samaritans and the... Can I recap that for you? Do you need that information? I can do it really quick. Uh, the Assyrians invaded the, invaded the northern kingdom in 720 BC. They resettled uh, the land with foreigners who intermarried. That's how you wipe people out in, in antiquity. The reason there are no more Hittites or Perizzites or Ammonites or whateverites is because when I conquer your people, I settle different people in and they intermarry and they disappear. So what's the one thing that the Jews did no matter where they were? They didn't intermarry, which is why we still have Jews or there wouldn't be any more Jews, okay? But the Samaritans were originally these Jewish people who intermarried with the people that the Assyrians settled uh, and and, uh, and when the when the the exiles returned in Ezra and Nehemiah, they hated these people. They were they didn't have pure blood. They had you know they had intermarried, and so that's when the hatred began. And the the Jews and the Samaritans had sort of this tit for tat thing that they did. Um, one year, um, right before Passover, the Samaritans dug up a bunch of graves and got human bones. And right before Passover, they threw human bones into the courtyard of the temple. And they made the temple unclean so they couldn't have Passover. You can imagine how that went over. Okay? But you don't do this with the nation of Israel. You don't play this game with the Israelis. Because the next year, the, Israelis, uh, the, the Jews burned down the temple on Mount Gerizim. And they never rebuilt it. So you don't get in that kind of thing. Don't, you know, don't, go, you know, don't go there with me. Don't go there with me. Okay, so our fathers worshipped on Gerizim, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Now Jesus is going to do something incredible here. He's going to give up the priority, his priority. Listen, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. It's not about Gerizim or Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, five other gods were worshipped in Samaria besides Yahweh. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Spirit is not bound to a place and truth is not bound to one people. See, new reality. Old orthodoxy, we're done with that. We have a new reality of the kingdom of, uh, that, that Jesus is uh, bringing in. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. And notice that God seeks us as worshipers. We don't seek Him. God is spirit, and His worshipers must, spirit, uh, was, must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I, so, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And I said this before, the Bible is accurate when it doesn't know it's being accurate. 
The, the Samaritan name for the Messiah was Tahav, which means revealer. Their idea, when the Messiah comes, he's going to explain everything to us. And so what this, the, the words that you know, John records this woman is saying are exactly what a Samaritan in the first century would have said. It's perfect. It's just perfect. Okay, so I think that's important. So I know that the Messiah uh, will uh, explain everything. And then Jesus declared, and again, there's no uh, amen. I'm just noticing this for the first time. There's something there. Um, Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Yeah. Now, there's a chance that he might have uh, manifested the divine name. Uh, we just don't know because her, there's no response from her. There are other places where he says it and they pick up stones to stone him, so you know he said it. The I am, you know, when Moses uh, in Exodus 3 asked God his name, he said, tell him I am sent you, and that becomes his name, Yahweh. We don't even know how to say his name anymore. Jehovah was a German approximation. Yahweh is kind of an English approximation. We don't know how to say it. It's been lost. Just then, the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a Samaritan? No, because Galileans talk to Samaritans all the time. See, no surprise. They're surprised he's talking to a woman because men do not speak to women in public in Jesus' world. Men do not even speak to their own wives in public in Jesus' world. There's a story of a rabbi who divorced his wife for having the audacity to speak to him in public. Sorry, ladies. Uh, that's just the world. So they're surprised that he's speaking to a woman, but no one asks him, what do you want or why are you talking with it? They're, this is chapter four. They've learned best leave those kinds of questions unsaid, right? He's always doing something like this. We're not going to ask him, right? Then leaving her water jar, and as I understand it, it was probably a leather bucket. Uh, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Is it interesting? People in her town have been telling her everything she's ever did or done her whole life in a condemning way. Jesus sort of unwrapped those wounds and she's excited that here's this person who really knows me. He's seen what I'm all about. And uh, that, that's what it's like to, to engage with Jesus. They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. He said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. He's talking about the satisfying encounter he's had with this woman. But Jesus just said something spiritual. So what's going to happen? They're going to misunderstand. Yeah. The disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? <laughs> Hear it? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me. That is his favorite circumlocution for God in the Gospel of John. If you ask Jesus in the Gospel of John who God is, he'll say, he's the one who sent me. He refers to him constantly that way. And you ask Jesus who he is in the Gospel of John, he'll say, I'm the one he sent. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? Ancient proverb that means don't hurry. Okay, that's what that means, don't hurry. Don't you say four more months and then the harvest? So relax, you got four months. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the field. They're ripe for harvest. And he means this woman. Even now the weeper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Now that is a passage from Amos 9.13. And I have kind of a new idea. Jesus doesn't quote the Hebrew Bible. Jesus thinks in the Hebrew Bible. He draws, he is so saturated with it. He draws images from, uh, from the Old Testament just almost naturally. And that the sower and the reaper celebrating together, that's from Amos. And that's just, he just thinks. I mean, in a sense, he kind of lives in a one-book world, if you think of it. That's, the, that's his world. There's no Talmud yet. There's no Mishnah yet. You know, there's no commentaries like that yet. I mean, I know there's Plato and Aristotle, but that's not part of his world probably. So anyway, thus, thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you've not worked for. 
Others have done the hard work, and you've reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town. Now, Luke shows us the, the Samaritans rejecting Jesus in uh, 951. John shows the Samaritans uh, a different time. John shows us Jesus being accepted by the Samaritans. Uh, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. There sits Simon, so foolish and wise. Proudly he's tending his nets. Then Jesus calls, and the boats drift away. And all that he owns he forgets But more than the nets he abandoned that day He found that his pride was soon drifting away And it's hard to imagine the freedom we find From the things that we leave behind mindful of taking the tax and pressing the people to pay but hearing the call he responded in faith and followed the light and the way and leaving the people so puzzled he found that the greed in his heart was no longer around and it's hard to imagine the freedom we find the things that we leave behind Every heart needs to be set free From possessions that hold it so tight Cause freedom's not found in the things that we own It's the power to do what is right With Jesus our only possession Then giving becomes our delight and we can't imagine the freedom we find From the things that we leave behind And we show love for the world in our lives By worshipping goods we possess but Jesus said, lay all your treasures aside And love God above all the rest Because when we say no to the things of the world We open our hearts to the love of the Lord And it's hard to imagine the freedom we find From the things that we leave behind Oh, and it's hard to imagine the freedom we find from the things that we leave behind. Michael, do I recall that you wrote that with Scott Rowley? That is, that's a Scott Rowley song. Absolutely. I'll I'll oh. start a song and and uh, not be able to finish it and I, I rely on his youthful enthusiasm to come in and finish things <laughs> <laughs> well we're going to be hearing scott's voice coming up here in a few moments as the two of you talk about a hunger for god's word but let's take a look at a couple of comments we've received recently yeah let me let me read one from bob uh he says thank you so much for wayne's report from the ukraine uh it's phenomenal that we have you here, Wayne. You've spent so much time in the in, in the Ukraine, and you can actually report back as an eyewitness. So that's that's pretty incredible. Uh, he says it was so beautiful to hear. Here it is: the first-hand accounts of the suffering people who received food and help from Mission Eurasia, and how they were so touched by this kind of love that they were drawn to Jesus and began leaning on Him. It doesn't get any better than that. Could this be another example of how God uses suffering to save the world? Could this be an answer to Jesus' own prayer? May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. Thanks, Bob. That's a great, great comment. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Bob. I, I hadn't thought of it in that context, uh, Michael, but Bob is right, and you said it. God uses suffering to save the world. 
He really does. I mean, uh, obviously, the the suffering of Jesus on the cross is what saves us from our sin. But uh, I think uh, our personal suffering can be redemptive, too. And uh, that's a great hope I have as a follower of Jesus. Thanks, Michael. We've come to the halfway point of this session. Help us get the word out about this gathering of like minds by sharing the link for this podcast. Stop by the Michael Card Music Facebook page and interact with other listeners. Or reach us directly where you can send your comments, song requests, or questions via email and write to us at inthestudio at michaelcard.com. Coming up, we'll hear a classic conversation between Michael and Scott Rowley in the studio at Mole Inn. That's coming up here in the studio with Michael Card. The Worldview Study Bible is this month's CSB featured resource. Every day we're bombarded with issues in the news, entertainment, and the life choices of our friends and family. How do we respond to all these questions? Our friends at CSB have compiled a wonderful study Bible that will help you think clearly and biblically about our modern world. Search for the Worldview Study Bible at csbible.com. Access over 100 articles on racism, sexuality, materialism, entertainment, world religions, and more. See how the Bible speaks to today's world as you renew your mind. When you order, use the special 40% discount on your CSB purchase through LifeWay. Type CARD40 as one word in the promotion code for your 40% discount with LifeWay. I hope this study resource will open your mind to God's perspective in a culture that needs direction. Search for Worldview Study Bible now at csbible.com. Michael, producer Joe has reached into our classic archive of material. Remember when we recorded at the Mold End Studio, which you don't have anymore, but what a magical place that was, huh? Yeah, that was great. We we had so much fun getting together back in those days. Right, and people would come by and just hang out, and sometimes on mic and sometimes not. But yep. there were many conversations there. We're going to hear one of them that you had with Scott Rowley, your good friend. And mm-hmm. uh, as the conversation rolls along, there's going to be more of your music embedded here as well. So... Let's go back to that day, and uh, you want to say anything more about Scott? Well, uh, again, he, I mean, he's my best friend. He's a person that uh, we've ministered together. We've written songs together. We've been on the road together. We've uh, um, we've shared life together over you know forty years. So, I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. Michael, today. Why don't you introduce us to Scott Rowley? Today, here. my best friend. <laughs> yeah, quick quick to say that. Absolute best friend. When we met about 20 years ago, the first day we met, we were best friends. It what was incredible. That? Scott, what happened? Do you remember it that way? We we did. We met over, actually, a recording studio. Yep. We were doing, I think, a cat food commercial. No, it was Williamson County Bank and Trust. Oh, that's right. Yep. Wait same same kind of thing. You guys were doing jingles. Absolutely, we were, well, we were making money. Actually, we somebody who knew us and liked to utilize us, use that word, uh, had a sing on this thing. And it was it was a mutual blending of soul, and uh, we really did connect. I didn't yeah. know that about you guys. Yep. And then you you've you've known each other all these mm-hmm. twenty years. We you've tour- written songs together. We toured together for what about ten years? Right. We've been thrown out of many churches together. <laughs> That's right. We uh, and and have written a lot of songs. In fact, we're going to be playing a song together that we wrote. Mm-hmm. By the way, I heard about that part, Scott, about the getting thrown out of churches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. yeah that has made the news. Mm-hmm. Now, people forget that in the early days of Christian music, that happened all the time. <laughs> That's true. There were a lot of places that just wouldn't let us in so well I'll tell you what we've invited scott to come here today and to open the bible with us and talk about the bible michael mm-hmm. the importance of god's word and, and reading it and one, one of our favorite uh, topics scott and i meet with a group of men mm. uh every week uh for prayer on thursdays from noon to one mm. and uh we the the men that we fellowship are definitely all men of the word there are some pretty scary bible teachers in that group <laughs> one of them you know dr johnson who I sure do from moody i yeah. sure do and you guys have invited me to one or two of those meetings and they are very special the oh. empty hands fellowship but as we think about the word here today michael um let's open as, as you said we're going to hear a song later that you and scott wrote together you're going to sing it together but you've got a song called so many books yeah, this is a song that was written for the Bible League. I worked with them for about six or seven years. And uh, at one point, they had a, a new program that was uh, meant to raise money uh, for Bibles for China. 
And uh, I remember that passage in Amos 8, uh, 11. It says, The days are coming, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Hmm. And when I was in China, we went there smuggling Bibles. I, I saw all this. And we're currently working with uh, uh, the Nehemiah Project uh, uh, with a wonderful Sudanese uh, brother named William Levi. And he tells me that the Christians there who are literally starving uh, are not asking for food. They are asking for Bibles. It's, it's, a, it's an affirmation of that passage in Amos. Scott, wouldn't that we had that kind of hunger to read God's Word? When you think of Jesus speaking about himself as real food, and mm-hmm. you think of the living Word, it doesn't take long to get to that kind of incarnational, the power of the Scripture to feed us. Yeah. And it, uh, I think, is a, is a picture of the beauty of uh, how the presence of Christ really does feed. Well, Michael, if you'll pick up that guitar, we'd like to hear so many books. Ken Lewis is here in the studio with us as well. Ken is an excellent percussionist who uh, is another good friend. And together with Michael, now let's listen so many books. One, two, three. So comes the call for the poor to be fed More hungry by far are a billion and more Who wait for the bread of the word of the Lord So many books, so little time So many hunger, so many blind Starving for words, they must wait in the night To open a Bible and time the prophets would say when the poor of mankind will be withered away a want not for water but a hunger for more a famine for hearing the word of the Lord so many books so little time so many hunger so many blind starving for words they must wait in the night to open a Bible and move towards a light open a Bible Return full overflowing, so we must learn. So many books, so little time, so many hunger, so many blind. Starving for words, they must wait in the night to open a Bible and move towards the light. Open a Bible and move towards the light. Open a Bible and move towards the light. It's always a joy to hear Mike's voice and his writing and uh, to hear that song about the books and the book. Yeah. Ken will be back uh, a little bit later with his percussion skills as well. And Shanoa Sykes is with us today. She's going to play the violin with you, Michael. That's right. She's touring with us right now. song coming up here in just a few moments. Scott, take us to the Word today. We're going to look at 2 Timothy and this remarkable passage as Paul, the, the father, writes to his son in the faith. And uh, in the third chapter, there's a wonderful charge to Timothy, and I think it's in, important for us to recognize the context of Paul's writing. He wants Timothy to understand the depth and importance of the Word of God. He picks up at the twelfth verse of the third chapter. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Hmm. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Mm. It's a remarkable picture for us to um, kind of or to look at and something to unpack in terms of uh, my favorite part of that, which is the God breathing uh, of Scripture, that mm-hmm. it is coming from God 
he breathes it out, and uh, obviously it has response uh, in teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. Michael, does that happen to you as you read the Word? Do all of those things happen to you? Well, it doesn't happen enough, but uh, yeah, I think that's that's certainly God's intention. And I, I, I hear Paul the rabbi speaking here, too. Uh, that is a very Jewish rabbinic understanding of uh, God breathing the Scriptures even uh, as he... Um, uh, in in uh, in Hebrew culture, the word your word wasn't just simply something written on a page, but it was something that accomplished something as it went out. Well, and God's word is that way. Yeah, uh, that is very descriptive, Scott, because it it just it gives life. We know the word has life, and that's what Paul is getting at here. Right. Too often, the word is is holed up in some seminary where people are dissecting it and working on it. So, and again, we need scholarship because it's so critical to our mm-hmm. our fulfilling and 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 completing and understanding it. But the fact is, I can pick it up today, and it is the breath of God. It's oxygen mm-hmm. for me to breathe mm-hmm. and, yeah. and to live with. Yeah. Let me ask you guys though: How do you read the word, Scott? How do you read the word? Is it something you mm-hmm. do every day? I try to. I think that you know, Mike just said, "I wish I was reading more." Um, I think Mike's been a great example for me of someone who read the scriptures early and has continued to read. I like to read it every day casually. I like to pick it up. I like to read a, uh, for instance, the, the letter to Timothy. I like to read it from start to finish, the entire mm. the entire letter. Mm-hmm. I think that's been something Mike taught me early in, in Dr. Lane. The context of it makes more sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mike, how about you? Well, instead of, yeah, just reading a verse at a time or a chapter at a time, I think it's good to read a book at a time, too, because most biblical books don't take but maybe 30 minutes to read through. I think a book like Colossians takes 20 minutes to read all the way through. Do you ever read out loud? Yeah, you know, that's something that Bill taught us. In the ancient world, all reading was done out loud. Even even when you read by yourself, you read out loud. That's why the eunuch in, uh, in Acts, that's why Philip knows what the eunuch is reading, because he's sitting in his chariot, oh, he's reading yeah. out loud, he yeah. can tell. Mm. And uh, there's something to be said for hearing Scripture read in your own voice. Mm. Uh, yeah, and I think that is a wonderful mm-hmm. exercise. Of course, somewhere here in one of his letters to Timothy, Paul says, you know, give attention to the public reading of Scripture. Yeah. Again, that's that rabbinical background, isn't yeah. it? And as Scott and I sort of, uh, we've had a hand in, in uh, starting some uh, fellowships. Uh, one thing that we've always campaigned for is to simply have a service where someone reads a book of the Bible. Oh, I love you know, that. Oh. Not, not a pastor preaching, not, you know, not any other bells and whistles, but just let someone who reads well, yeah. who knows the book, stand up and read Colossians. We do know? it in weddings more often than we do in services where we'll just read long passages. Yeah. And it's always a huge amen at the end of that that I always feel like, this is clearly the sermon. You know, this is the word, yeah. and uh, we don't we don't do it enough. Yeah. Well, our intent here clearly today is to simply encourage people to pick up that Bible. Sometimes maybe we have to blow the dust off, the, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit there, but pick it up. Where would you encourage people to start reading, Michael? Well, I'm a big Gospel of John person. I think a lot of people will tell you to start there. I think particularly because uh, it is such a clear picture of Jesus. And I think the reason for that is that John writes after having preached and taught about Jesus for perhaps 40 or 50 years, an entire lifetime. Matthew, Mark, and Luke were all written fairly uh, soon after, you know, after the event. Uh, John was written last after uh, he had been preaching. And so he, he gathers the, the, the material on Jesus' life together and wonderful themes and uh, he remembers uh, in different categories and 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 lo- loves to fill in the gaps that the uh, synoptics leaves. I, I believe in starting with John, but um, one thing I wanted to also say before we m- moved any further is if there are believers out there, and I'm 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 speaking from personal experience, if you are uh, feeling hungry spiritually, spiritually. Um, my guess is it's because you haven't been feeding on the Word. And, and I can just say from my own experience, I'll catch myself almost in starvation mode, hmm. and I'll realize I haven't opened the Bible in you know a week. Hmm. And, uh, and you go to God's Word, like Scott says, it's oxygen that you breathe in. And you know Jesus says that he's the living word and that we feed on him. And that really is genuinely true. There's something else that happens too, I think. We have a mutual friend who, who says that it's almost like our soul is washed yeah. when we read the word. There, yeah. There's a cleansing. There's a getting rid of the bad and, and putting on God's thoughts when we open the word. The rabbis used to teach that as a, a, as a student gazed at the scriptures, 
they were uh, transformed into the image of God. And I think that's, I'm, I'm not theologically standing up for that position, but I, I do think there's something to be said for that. Those of us who believe that as Christians there is an ongoing transformation in our lives, I really believe that as you, as you simply gaze at the Scriptures, that begins to happen. Hmm. Scott Rowley is our guest this week, and Scott, you know Michael better than most people, mm-hmm. and you know his stand on biblical authority. Mm-hmm. You know that we're talking to the guy here who wrote the mm-hmm. song, The Book. I think it's time that we ask him to sing that one, don't you? Very good. He'll do it. All right. And we've got Shanoa Sykes here who's going to add her skills as a violin player as well. Ken Lewis, percussion. Michael Card with the book. Through the paragraphs of prophets in their fiery words and rhymes In the pages of the patriarchs We can read on every line Of the kindness of commandments And of all he undertook That before we call he answered us In the pages of the book to hear you sing that, Michael Card. Our thanks to Ken Lewis and Shanoa Sykes for joining you as well. You know, the Bible is an ancient book, and yet it's right here and now. I mean, it's for us. It's always new because it's alive, because it is, it, because like the passage in Timothy says, it is God-breathed. Hmm. Scott Rowley is with us here in the studio today. You know, Scott, Michael was telling about people in other cultures so hungry for the word. Um, Again, I wish that we had that same sense of hunger. Right. Mike has a great story um, before he shares it. In in our Franklin Community Ministries, which is um, a work that we do in an urban center here in Franklin, um, we hand out hundreds of Bibles a year. You'd think that in America, even where we have the word printed in 15 Mm -hmm. different translations, uh, that it wouldn't be – there wouldn't be that kind of void. But it's amazing to us to see how many people are still hungry mm. for the Word, whether it's at the uh, prison. We have a prison ministry where recently they asked, uh, requested 15 or 20 of the mm. of an NIV study Bible rather than just the Psalm uh, New Testaments that are handed out so often by Gideons. Right. Yeah, I have a friend in Wyoming who was just there at a boys' reformatory, and the one thing they requested were Bibles. And when he went home, he made sure he got a couple hundred Bibles mm. back into that prison for, for boys. Wow. Yeah. It's always interesting to me and, and sort of embarrassing to teach at a church, teach Bible somewhere, and the people go, oh, I didn't know it was that interesting. 
You know, you just go it's like an <laughs> well, arrow through your heart. Yeah, as, as we were listening down through the scripture, even, you know, as you're continuing what you've learned, what you've been convinced of, um, because you know those whom, uh, from whom you learned it. Mm-hmm. I think so much of what I miss here in this conversation has been Bill Lane, yeah. the man who taught us the Bible. Yeah. And then context with that, that's what makes it interesting is the living, kind of the ongoing, uh, as the word becomes real to us, it changes us. It, uh-huh. it, it gives me an enthusiasm to say, here's what it's really saying. Yeah. And Bill was a great teacher of that. And that, that's where I think Paul is continuing with Timothy, which you're continuing with your work, yeah. what I'm doing, Wayne, all of us, uh, is to, to, in, to in kind of give away that enthusiasm. Yeah. And, and the word, like you're saying, becomes alive in you. And it's those people like Bill Lane uh, who, who represented that that means so much to all of us. Right. Let's go back to that story and ask you to tell us that story. Did it come from Russia? Yeah, it came from Russia uh, for a number of years before the, the, the curtain, Iron Curtain came down. Um, the Bible League would go to book fairs. And somehow they got through cultural exchange, or I don't know how they got in there. But uh, at the book fair, they would hand out Bibles. And there was always this long line because Bibles were uh, illegal. And one year they were there, and at the very end of this long line, there was a man who wanted a Bible, and they had just given out the last one. And they said he, he almost wept. He was just so disappointed. And he said, if I come back next year, you know, he's going to wait a year. If I come back next year, will you bring me one? And they said, Absolutely, we promise. So the next year came back, and someone had forgotten. And it, once again, this guy was at the very end of the line. Once he got there, there were no Bibles. And he, I think he wept. I mean, he was very upset. And as he was walking away, he turned and he said, can I just have the box that they were in? And and uh, I remember uh, Denny Muldar, the president of the Bible, he telling me what, what how it felt to watch this guy walk away holding this box. Mm. Because it had held Bibles, you right. know. And, um, and Scott, most of us can just simply get up and walk across the room and pick right. up three or four copies. Yeah. Right. The residue of the Scripture in a box, you know, yeah. versus the residue of Scripture in our hearts, uh, yeah. life. It's a great picture. And just to be close to Jesus, to, to stay close to Jesus, to touch the hem of his garment, to hold the box of his word. Yeah. I mean, those are remarkable images which show the change of heart that happens uh, in, the, in the truly converted. Yeah. And we have this hunger. Um, to know the word. Here was a man who was genuinely hungry for it. Yeah. And that's not to guilt us, no, oh, I have no. all these Bibles in my house, yeah. but it is to renew in our hearts. You know, I have this uh, this this book that is that so many people have died for right. and, and the, if preserving the manuscripts and that sort of thing and in translating the manuscripts, and it's a wonderful treasure. And if I can say this, uh, Michael, your passion is for us to understand how interesting the Bible is mm-hmm. and how important the Bible is to us. So you really have a vision for helping us learn the Word. You know, you, you've unlocked some things for me as we've sat here uh-huh. week by week and studied on the radio together. But before we leave here today, let's circle back to our text in, in 2 Timothy, Michael. And, you, and then you and Scott have got a song you're going to sing for us. Yeah. Scott, you want to read it? Um, I'll read the, the, final, the final verse of the text, okay. and it's um, from verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Hmm. And the two of you together have written this song we're about to hear. You're going to sing it for us now together. Mm-hmm. It's called The, the Perfect Prayer. Mm-hmm. There is a truly perfect prayer It's totally complete It speaks of love's submission And spells out sin's defeat It's the only prayer that understands The purpose of our pain When it's spoken from your heart It is the perfect prayer of faith Not my will But thine be done In these seven simple words The victory's won Perfect prayer of God's anointed Son Not my will, but thine be done Son of man was tempted to betray his father's trust 
He suffered for his loyalty and died for each of us. In his sacrifice, he overcame the power of sin. Let's pray this perfect prayer. Take up our cross and follow him. Not my will, but thine be done. In these seven simple words, the victory's won. The perfect prayer of God's anointed Son. Not my will. But thine be done. Not my will, but thine be done. Not my will, but thine be done. If this time together has been used by the Lord to bring up some new ideas to consider, please take a moment and pass along your comments to us. Share the link with a friend or post a review of this podcast. You can email your reactions when you write to in the studio at michaelcard.com. We look forward to reading your email or interact with other listeners when you post on the Michael Card Music Facebook page. And we're excited about the partnership with our sponsors at the Christian Standard Bible when you visit csbible.com. This month, we're featuring an important study tool that will help you find answers to the current issues we all face. When you visit csbible.com, search for the Worldview Study Bible. This Bible is an invaluable resource that will help you discuss, defend, and clearly share with others the truth and hope and practical compatibility of Christianity in everyday life. When you order, use the promotion code CARD40, typed with no spaces, to receive your 40% discount on CSB purchases through LifeWay. The Worldview Study Bible at csbible.com. We hope you'll join us again next week for another podcast. Now for Ron Davis, Susan Sermon, Lance Mansfield, and our producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. We're all glad you've been part of this edition of In the Studio with Michael Card. <laughs>